Hello, everyone. And so cool to see some faces today and um, be able to preach to actual people. Yay. <laughs> Shepherd, do we have... Oh, the TV's working. Yay. Woohoo. Didn't have the TV's working earlier, so I'm very really happy about that. Um, I have to say, just in getting ready for this preach, it's been, it's been quite a humbling process of God dealing with me, uh, probably more than anything else. And um, I have felt not unlike Paul, um, who proclaims himself the chief of sinners, Moses asking, why, Lord, are you sending me? And, um, and Isaiah, who cries out, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, I don't think any of those people said those things lightly. It's because they understood the weight of the holiness of God and who he is, and that really um, we are just vessels in his hands. And um, we're not there yet. I'm not there yet. And um, like Paul, he says he's not where he wants to be, but he presses on. And God in his grace and his mercy leads us in kindness. He's gracious towards us. He's tender with us. I am a testimony of his grace in so many ways. And so I'm grateful for him doing that with us. And today um, we carry on with our holy series. And I, um, it's just amazing that we're doing this holy series. I just wanted to quickly share about a story from last year. I was praying, looking at our faith sign during a time of worship. And just asking God, okay, Lord, what is, what is the word for, for the next year? I'm praying more for myself than for anything else. And I, I thought, okay, I've got some good ideas, Lord. What about hope? Hope is a good one. We really need that. And I, I literally barely got the word out, and I felt God emphatically stop me and say, no, it's holy. And I thought, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> um, but I knew I could sense the Spirit of God over that word, and I just knew that he was going to take me on a journey of holiness and walking in holiness with him, which I thought of, okay, I've got some things to, to sort out. And, but I knew that God was going to pave a way and make it a, a holy ground, yeah. But I had no idea that God was going to open it up to us as a broader community as well. And so it's just incredible, the words that have come through in our prayer meetings, the focus of attention has been His holiness, our leaders' time, that's just how it naturally panned out that we would be speaking about those things and just getting rid of the things in our lives that we need to get rid of. And um, so our sign has changed, and so has the season. And I think it's really timely. We have got a job to do as a church. God is calling us to be the vessels that he wants us to be, to be the bride that he wants us to be. And so he really wants to make of us that pure bride so that we can do all the things that we need to do. And all those promises that he's, he's proclaimed over our lives can actually come into being as we step into the slipstream of what he's doing. So today uh, also came about because of a prophetic word. And while we were actually praying into the series, just had the words on repeat in my heart and my mind, winnowing fork, which kind of a strange thing to be thinking about. But it comes from a scripture out of Matthew 3, 11 and 12, which I'll just read quickly. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff you will burn with unquenchable fire. And what I felt God impress on me when I gave this word, it was during a, a time of prayer with the elders, and um, 
I just really felt that God was saying that we were going into a season of winnowing. And I felt that that was really speaking to us being purified and sifted and for God dealing with us as a community so that we could be the church and the bride that he needed us to be. And um, so today I'm just going to go through a few things just to unpack this picture for us and, and so that we can bring, pull out from there what God is saying. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you as he has been to me and that he is going to be ministering into your heart uh, through today and also in the days ahead. And as we step into this season of winnowing, which won't necessarily be all easy, but we have already gone through so many things, and God is with us. So um, before I go into explaining what winnowing is, I just want to remind us that it's, it is a metaphor, it's an image, so it's, it's just there to help us, to give us a picture of what God is doing with us. And so what is winnowing? Um, hopefully you can see the picture. Um, but winnowing is it's a process that happens at harvest time. It is when the, the wheat or the barley is taken in from the harvest and then they separate the stalk from the grain and then the grain's put onto a place called the threshing floor, which is what you're seeing there on the screen if you're able to. Um, and the threshing floor is just really a large, smooth surface on which the grain is placed, ready for the winnowing process, which is the next step. And um, the winnowing process is where they take a bowl or a big fork, and they take that grain and they throw it up into the air. And the threshing floor is usually in an elevated place where the wind can come through, and then the wind comes and it, it blows on that grain. And all of the husks and all the things that shouldn't be on that grain come off the grain. And then the grain, which is heavy, then falls to the ground and um, is, lands on the threshing floor ready to be taken into the barn. And it's now able to be used for purpose. And so that is a very important part of the process of making sure the wheat is clean and clear. The chaff then is taken and it is burned in the fire because it is no use to anybody for the harvest purpose. So what is God saying to us? Well, let's just go back to that scripture from Matthew 3, and I'll read it again. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In the context of this chapter, John the Baptist is speaking, and he's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some other people that have gathered about the Messiah who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and of the Messiah who will come and will winnow the wheat and gather into his barn the wheat. And so the first point that I would like to make today is that Jesus is the one who holds the winnowing fork. John the Baptist in this chapter fulfills the prophecy made about him in Isaiah, that he would be the one crying out in the wilderness to make straight paths for the Lord, to prepare a way for him. So this chapter and this verse is important because John is the prophet that cries out to prepare the way of the, of the Messiah for the people and that he is declaring that the Messiah would be God and that he would come and he would bring people into his kingdom. 
He sets up the fact that Messiah is Lord over the harvest to come for those who would believe in him. And he speaks about him holding this winnowing fork to clear the threshing floor. He alone has the authority to process this harvest because he is the promised Messiah, the Davidic king who would set up this eternal kingdom. So two things are happening with this image that John is using. One is that the Messiah would separate those who believe from those who don't, and that the Messiah would purify those who believe by removing the impurities which are representing our sin. So John describes the Messiah baptizing and setting apart and purifying all who would come to his kingdom. And what is implied in the imagery and would have been understood by the listener is that when the harvest is gathered, all of the wheat and the barley that's brought in will also have with it the tares and the weeds and the things that shouldn't be there. Because if you try and take those things out before you do the harvest gathering, you will damage the wheat and the barley that is there. And so uh, this process of taking those things out can only be done on the threshing floor, and only Jesus does that. It's not something that we do. We partner with him by bringing in the harvest. John is alluding to the fact that God is holy, and only that which is holy and hidden in Christ will remain and be gathered into his barn. He's calling on those within earshot to repentance, to faith in Jesus, so that they can be part of this great harvest. And there is a sense of urgency in John's tone that is not unlike the urgency of the hour that we are now living in. There is something of the cry of the one in the wilderness, crying out, make straight the paths for the Lord. He is crying out to those who believe and to those who don't, to make paths for him so that he can come riding in. There is a prophetic urgency to this call for salvation. Today is the day of salvation, and this is what John was telling the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those gathered. And very shortly after he utters the words, Jesus arrives ready to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. There are many who need to come onto the threshing floor. In Glenridge, we are part of bringing that harvest in to Jesus to lay it down at his feet so that he can sweep them in. So winnowing is first a work of the Spirit, and it is the wind that blows away all that is not of him. John uses this image of winning, winnowing intentionally, knowing well that those listening to him would have understood what he was talking about. They would have known what winnowing was, and they would have been paying attention to his inclusion of the fact that Messiah would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire with this image of winnowing. John was connecting this baptism of the Spirit to this idea of being sifted and winnowed. He was connecting the removal of the chaff and the husks and the impurities with the work of God removing all that is sinful, all that is not of him, all that was not holy. Remember when the disciples were in the upper room and the Spirit of God came upon them? The Spirit of God is described as a mighty rushing wind. The word in the Greek for the Spirit used by John in Matthew 3 is the Greek word pneuma, which means a current of air, breath, blast, or breeze. 
Isn't it incredible that he uses that specific word in this description? He's not throwing about words casually, but he's speaking with prophetic intent and purpose. Once again, he is calling for repentance, calling for us to surrender to the work of Messiah Jesus and allow him to separate us to himself. It was a call to remove all that is not holy, all that does not carry weight, so that it can be swept away and burned in the fire. In the first picture, I hope you were able to see it, of the woman with the basket winnowing. You can see in this picture the grain that comes off in this like kind of haze off the grain. The, the, sorry, the impurities come off. And just notice how much there was on that grain. And um, I had a chance to look at a little video about this. And um, when you look at the grain, you, you think, oh, there's not that much there to come off. But as the grain goes up and the wind comes through, and it's not even this massive hectic wind. It's just this breeze that comes and blows through. This incredible amount of stuff comes off the grain. And um, it's, if you think about having to go through that individually, grain by grain, it would take too long and you wouldn't get everything off. And just the mere breath of the Spirit of God that breathes and blows on our hearts can remove the things that we cannot see, the things that are not visible to our hearts, not visible to our eyes, and often there is so much that needs to be removed. And only the Spirit of God can get into those places and remove it. Not only that, but He comes in and He does a much faster work, a much more thorough work than we could ever do on our own. The gritty pieces that become lodged and trap moisture onto the grain and can cause mold and can cause rot little insects that get stuck into the little places and eat away the grain so that we lose fruitfulness. Our lives carry all of that debris. We all have something that entangles us, the sin that besets. And if they remain, that can cause damage. It can eat up the grain. The little insects come in and they eat away, and we don't have that fruitfulness, and we're not able to sustain. The image helps us understand that which will last and that which won't, and it helps us to understand the, the, what we can do and what he does in us. Notice how all of the, the impurities are blown off because they're light. Raymond spoke recently about um, having sufficient weight and walking with sufficient weight as a holy people. And it's interesting that in this image, the impurities are the light things. They don't carry that sufficient weight because God only allows that which carries the eternal weight to stand and to hold and to remain. And we want to be like that grain that falls to the floor and can be swept into the barn because God is purifying us. And when we are purified, we are fit for the kingdom. And to be made pure is the goal of our Father because He is pure. And through Jesus, His Son, He works by His Spirit to make us holy because it is the pure that will see God. The baptism of the Spirit is a refining work. It marks us and separates us as sons and daughters of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. The second part of this is that the Holy Spirit is like a fire that consumes and refines. And, of course, we see that John the Baptist refers to this baptism of the Spirit as the baptism of the Spirit and fire. And um, this particular Reference to fire is 
It's a reference to the consuming fire of God. And God is first described as a consuming fire in Deuteronomy 4.24. And this was in the context of God removing all of the idolatry from Israel and consuming all of her enemies. Hebrews 12.29 again talks of God as a consuming fire in the context of shaking off all that should not be in the kingdom. Anything that needs to come away comes away. In other words, God is a consuming fire. It is God in his holiness. John proclaims that Jesus will baptize us with the spirit and fire. And remember that when the disciples were in the upper room, the, the spirit falling on them is described as tongues of fire that come upon them. John is making a connection between this consuming fire of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's also connecting it to the context of baptism and winnowing. He is alluding to the fact that God is holy, and when he comes with his fire, he's coming with his holy presence to make us holy. It's interesting that he uses baptism because baptism, people would have understood really well what that meant. It represented the people of Israel walking through the waters of the Red Sea, passing from Egypt into um, the desert and out of the, the bondage that they were in. So it represented deliverance, and it also represented cleansing. Water is cleansing. And John takes this further, and he says there will be a greater baptism, which will involve fire, which will consume everything. It's the things that, that even water cannot reach. God, his presence is holy because he is a consuming fire. And when he comes into his temple, he makes us holy. The word purifier means to make clean or clear of imperfections or by the biblical definition to make holy. The word refine means to test or purge or prove true. And at this point, I'd just like to read from Malachi 3, which is also one of the cross-references that you can find in, in this text, with this text, from Matthew. And Malachi 3, 1 to 4, for those who want to read with, with us. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years." So what I want us to notice in this scripture is the parallel to Matthew 3. Notice that verse 1 describes that the Lord will come quickly to his temple. Again, we are taken back and reminded of the upper room where the disciples were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, in the New Testament, the temple of God is us. We become that temple. And so this incredible connection of the Spirit of God coming upon his temple, his people. Malachi speaks prophetically to what John is proclaiming in Matthew 3. In Malachi, the Lord is also described as a refining fire who purifies the sons of Levi like gold and silver. John is describing a day when Jesus 
would baptize the believers with this fire and consume that which is not of him. Sanctifying, dealing with idolatry, the things that are the enemies of our soul, because he wants a people that are holy like he is holy. Gold, when it is purified, needs to go through the fire. And gold becomes smelted in that process, and everything that is not gold is then separated or burned away completely. Because gold in its raw form, when it's taken out of the earth, is, it's got rock and it's got other metals there. And so it doesn't look anything like the gold that we are familiar with. It must go through the fire for it to be pure. And in the, in the fire, that which is gold isn't consumed, but it remains. And it becomes this beautiful atom that shines and is beautiful, and sometimes can even become translucent, which if you remember in Revelation, the, the streets are paved with this gold that's like, like it's clear. And that is because it is the purest kind of gold. It is an atom of great worth, great beauty, and reflects the glory of God as it shines. How often do we allow things to mix in with our faith? to be like that raw gold instead of the purified gold. But God wants to fall on us with his fire so that all of those things can be taken away and that we can be pure and full of his glory. In the letter to the Laodicean church, found in the book of Revelation, the church is exalted to buy from the Lord gold refined by fire. In their lukewarm, half-baked state, because they've lost their love, their first love. They were pursuing other things. They wanted material wealth, all the things that the world could offer, but not the riches of the presence and the power of God. Notice how God asks them to buy from him gold refined by fire. This is not the kind of gold that you can find in earthly places. This is the gold that is eternal. This is the gold that he gives. This is the precious gold that he has refined and he has put in our hearts how often do we settle for the lesser things, but God has so much more for us? God wants a bride set apart for him. The fire can be hot, and it might be tough sometimes, but everything that comes out of that fire, when it can stand the flame, is of beauty and of worth and of value. Because we can't store up for ourselves things that moth and rust can destroy but we have to store for ourselves things that will remain in eternity. Winnowing the bride and the redeemer. Matthew 3, 11 to 12, speaks about this threshing and winnowing that takes place at harvest time. And in Israel, harvest time was the time in which they celebrated the Feast of Shavuot, which it was a feast to celebrate the giving of the law and also the harvest it is also the same feast that was happening at the same time that the disciples were gathered in the upper room. We're back there again when the Spirit was poured out. And um, Peter comes away from that and immediately begins to preach. And 3,000 people are added to the harvest that day. Just a beautiful fulfillment of the Word of God. Also, at the time of Shavuot, the book of Ruth is read out. Uh, it's a scroll that they read out every year in the synagogues. And the book of Ruth centers around this, this woman, Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, and she marries the son of Naomi. And Naomi um, and her husband, Elimelech, 
they had gone out from Israel because of the famine in the land, and, and they, that's how she met Naomi's son. And um, they die. The husband, Elimelech dies, and his two sons die. And then Naomi is bereft, and so she goes back home, and, uh, and Ruth says that she will go with her. And she says the famous words, For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And she goes and she, in order to help Naomi and them have food, so she goes and she works in a field that happens to belong to a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a righteous man in Israel at the time and happens to be a, a relative of theirs and a man who becomes a kinsman redeemer, someone who's able to redeem the land that belonged to Naomi's family and to marry Ruth and provide an heir. And so Naomi instructs Ruth to prepare herself like a bride and go down to the threshing floor in the middle of the night and go to Boaz and approach him and uncover his feet and ask him to cover her with his wings, which it was a request for him to redeem her in marriage. So she does this, and he redeems her. And this image also references a beautiful scripture in Ezekiel 16, 8 to 10, which is God speaking to Israel about how he would redeem her and restore her. And he says these words, Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. So Boaz marries Ruth and redeems her. And in the process, Naomi's land and is restored and her hope is restored and an heir is given. And that heir would become the grandfather of David. And David is the line in which Messiah is born into. How incredible that God would bring this story into play in this season. And in this scripture, it's referenced and people would have already known that. It's no coincidence that a Gentile woman seeks redemption on a threshing floor, prepared as a bride for her bridegroom, who would cover her with his wings, a picture of the harvest to come, and of the bride who would re be redeemed by her bridegroom, a bride separated from her land and her people to join a new land and a new people, who was willing to be stripped of all that she knew to take on this new life, much like those who will come into faith and separate themselves from everything that they know to join a kingdom that is new, but that will last for eternity. The prophetic story of the Redeemer, the bridegroom, on the threshing floor with Ruth points to the day that John Baptist speaks about, of the arrival of our great Redeemer, Jesus who winners the harvest, baptizes his people, and sets apart a bride for himself. Friends, this is a winnowing season, and he has a job for us to do. He wants us to be like John the Baptist, crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He wants us to be those straight paths for him as well. He has sent his son, Jesus, to do the work on our behalf. And he has poured out his spirit upon us because he wants to remove all that we have got in our lives that shouldn't be there. He wants to fall on us as a consuming fire so that we may emerge as precious gold that would bring him glory. 
Friends, may we respond with faith and with courage and allow him to come and do this work in our lives. May we allow the Spirit of God to come and breathe on us, to come and and take all those things away. Let us surrender our hearts and give them over to him because he wants to take us on a journey toward holiness. May we be that people. May we surrender our lives afresh to this King, our great Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have sent the great Redeemer, our King Jesus. And we just honor you and glorify you because you have woven together every single detail. You have planned things out from the beginning of time that you would call a people to yourself, that you would separate out a bride that would be made ready for you. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, that you would help us to be open, that we would surrender ourselves. And so right now, Father, we pray, would you you send your spirit to blow? Would you blow and breathe on every single part of our hearts and our lives? Father, we pray you'd send your fire right now, that it would consume all that is not of you. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to build the things that are eternal, that we would build with gold and silver and precious stones that would remain. Father, that we would not heap up wood, hay, stubble, those things that that will not add anything. And Father, may we be those pure vessels that you can use, that you can fill, that you can angle to shine the glory that is yours and father may we be the display of your splendor today may we be the people that you've called us to be may you fill us with the spirit and with fire that we can go out and we can preach the gospel that we can bring in the harvest into your threshing floor so that you can redeem a people that are longing to come in that need to come in who have yet to come in Father, we thank you that you are doing the work. We thank you that you are with us. We pray, God, do it again and again and again. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.